0: The Forum on Workplace Inclusion podcast is sponsored by U.S. Bank. Embracing what makes us unique creates more possibilities for all. Learn more at usbank.com diversity. U.S. Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. You're listening to the Forum on Workplace Inclusion podcast. It's happening. The Forum's 33rd Annual Conference, Workplace Revolution, is March 8th through 12th, 2021. A forum conference like never before, the 33rd annual conference will be completely virtual with the same high-quality forum programming you've come to know, love, and expect. This year's annual conference is our most affordable, most accessible, and at five days long, our biggest conference ever. Register early and take advantage of reduced early bird pricing. So join us from anywhere on March 8th through 12th, 2021, for the Forum on Workplace Inclusion 33rd Annual Conference, Workplace Revolution. Be a part of the global conversation. Be a part of the solution. Be a part of the workplace revolution. For more information, visit forumworkplaceinclusion.org slash 2021. That's forumworkplaceinclusion.org slash 2021. We get to engage people, advance ideas, and ignite change because of the generous support from our community if you find our resources meaningful or valuable, please consider supporting the forum today. Visit forumworkplaceinclusion.org donate. That's forumworkplaceinclusion.org donate. Thank you very much for your support and generosity. With that, I'd like to say thank you to all our listeners and subscribers. You help support the growth of the podcast and reach new listeners. If you like what you're hearing on the forum podcast, please consider writing a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you've already written a review, thank you. Please consider sharing our podcast with a friend, family member, or a colleague you think might find value in the content. Word of mouth is the best way the forum grows, so thank you very much for listening and sharing. Thanks again, and enjoy the show.
1: Hello and thank you for joining us for today's podcast, Harnessing the Power of Resistance Transformative Leadership Strategies Continued with Maria Velasco and Dr. Chris Kent Sansone. I'm Ben Rue, Program Associate here at the Forum on Workplace Inclusion. This podcast is a continuation podcast of our November webinar by the same title, Harnessing the Power of Resistance Transformative Leadership Strategies, which had a lot of wonderful questions, which we were not able to get to during the webinar. So thankfully, Maria and Chris have agreed to come back and do this follow-up conversation with me so we can answer a couple of those wonderful questions. Maria Velasco is founder and CEO of Beyond Inclusion Group, a comprehensive diversity, equity, and inclusion firm committed to helping organizations increase engagement, innovation, and performance by fostering inclusive and equitable cultures where everyone thrives and belongs. Maria is a strategic, organizational development and leadership consultant for organizations seeking transformative change in the area of diversity, equity, and inclusion. She has over 15 years of experience developing and implementing sustainable diversity and inclusion initiatives to help strengthen and leverage diversity for organizations from a variety of sectors with the goal of reducing bias, increasing cultural competence, promoting inclusion, and institutional change. Her clients come from the fields such as education, healthcare, mental health, technology, scientific, government, and nonprofit organizations throughout the U.S. Maria uses appreciative inquiry and action learning methodologies to build cultures of inclusion to foster intercultural understanding. Born and raised in Salamanca, Spain, Maria has a BA in business administration and a master's in arts from the organization development and leadership and a graduate certificate in organizational consulting from Fielding University. Chris Sanson, PhD, is a partner at Vertical Leadership and has more than 20 years of experience designing leadership programs and change initiatives engaging members' minds, emotions, and spirits in scientific, technological, university, and engineering organizations. A proxy certified change practitioner, he helps his clients build workforces of change readiness and inclusivity. He has peer reviewed research published on leadership, program design and leading diversity, equity and inclusion change initiatives. Certified by the Coaches Training Institute, Chris's doctorate is in organizational development from the Fielding Graduate University and he teaches at the Hoffman Institute. First of all, I just wanna say welcome to both of you. Uh, Thank you so much for agreeing to come back. We're really looking forward to continuing this conversation and getting to answer a lot of these great questions that we weren't able to get to during the actual webinar.
2: Oh, hi, Ben. Thank you so much for having us back. We're really, really excited to be part of this this podcast uh, to continue the conversation that we started uh, a couple of weeks ago.
1: Great. Yeah, no, like I said, um, also, we're also very excited. There was a great turnout to, during the during the webinar. And like I said, a lot of great questions. So I'm gonna just jump right in with the first one, which is for you, Maria. It's how do you help leaders understand that they have personal work that they need to do?
2: Hmm. This is such a great question. How do we help anyone understand that they have work that they need to do and particularly leaders, right? So of the five strategies that we shared during our webinar that were the result of our research, um, and and I'm going to repeat the strategies. Um, The first one is inquire into the underlying reasons of the resistance. The second one is widen engagement. The third one is educate and inform The fourth strategy is work with leaders to push the agenda. And the fifth strategy that we share with you was address the underlying fear. So from these strategies, um, the one that has worked really well in my consulting experience is to educate leaders about two things. Um, The first one is to educate them about the benefits of having an inclusive workplace culture. Okay. So research tell us that organizations with inclusive cultures are 2 times as likely to meet or exceed financial targets, 3 times as likely to be high performing, 6 times more likely to be innovative and agile, and 8 times more likely to achieve better business results. So this Type of education can really motivate leaders to think more about how inclusive their organization culture is and how what is their role. And this is the second thing that is very important to educate leaders about. What is the role they play in promoting workplace culture? Okay, so again, research shows that inclusive leaders have a very positive impact in how much individuals feel included in an organization. In fact, inclusive leaders increase the experience of fairness, respect, value, belonging, and psychological safety by 70%. So when leaders hear these statistics, they really start thinking about, wow, I wonder if we have an inclusive culture, right? And that's the next step Uh, in helping them understand that they need work, personal work that they need to do. The next step is to take the pulse of the organization level of inclusion by administering a workplace culture survey, okay? So the results of this survey can be a wake-up for leaders, as well as a great motivator for them to do personal work. Now, it is essential to break down the results of the surveys by different social identity groups, such as gender, ethnicity, race, ability, sexual orientation. Looking at the overall results can be problematic, particularly if the organization has low levels of diversity because in that situation, the voices of those in, the, in, in minority groups or underrepresented group can easily get lost in the overall results. So to wrap up my answer, educating leaders about the benefits of having an inclusive culture, about their role in promoting um, an inclusive workplace culture, and encouraging them to take a look at the current state of affairs in the organization can really help leaders understand and realize that they have uh, organizational work to do as well as personal work, work to do.
1: Thank you so much for that. And, and Chris, we're going to hop in with the next question for you. So right now there's there's a lot of political overlay and some people are seeing DEI as a challenge to their personal political positions. What are your thoughts about how a company addresses fear without unleashing toxicity into the workplace?
3: Well, first of all, I wanna acknowledge that this is a fine line that we're balancing that uh, continuing to have the conversation during a time when the political overlay is um, ripe for toxicity. There's no doubt about that. And yet there's never been a better time because of people's awareness and sensitivity to what's going on, particularly around racial tension. And so what there's a couple of suggestions I make. One is don't hit it head on. Now, that's gonna sound uh, a little um, uh, illogical, but what I'm referring to is don't hit on the argumentative side, don't hit on the combative side. Don't force people into the conversations by mandatory um, kinds of trainings and events and compliance and grievance policies and such. Those have proven to backfire. We know that from the research, and we know it from our practice. That said, there is a particular change model that works especially well when dealing with difficult topics, And, and some of our listeners may know about appreciative inquiry. And appreciative inquiry has many applications. Uh, it is basically a change process that begins with affirmation, it, and it essentially creates an opportunity for growth and change by identifying what's working in a system. So, we're looking for themes, actual occurrences, stories uh, that individuals and collectively they have been involved with around uh, change in the organization. We're looking for whole systems dialogue. So it's a way of engaging people in what is working and then converting those kinds of conversation into what we want to accomplish. So a couple of principles around appreciative inquiry. Again, it's an intervention that really um, is highly effective at supporting diversity and inclusion and, and equity initiatives in organizations. Here's some of the principles. Number one, every voice counts. Each individual has voice and merit that we need to listen to, needs to be included and integrated into our conversation. We don't have to follow every recommendation, but we have to listen. Second, every voice deserves to be heard. So that's the the merit of listening. Each individual has a unique contribution to make. So we're looking to ferret out those voices and make this a collective experience and Third, every voice is included in the AI conversation in the room. And that's really actually very prescriptive to say that when we have an uh, appreciative inquiry event, we are looking to to eventually compile all of the data as the name indicates. This is an inquiry. We're looking to incorporate the data into a larger conversation. And so basically these principles position AI as an OD change process, an organization development change process that really speaks to hearing all voices in a manner that's focused on strengths, on building capacity, and really is, in, uh, is, is crafting a new vision together. So as maybe as easy as that sounds, it can actually be that easy. And there are some difficulties of keeping the conversation on track with what's working, what is positive. And even complaints can be brought into the conversation in a way that is productive. Even grievances can be brought into the conversation that that ultimately prove productive. It's our orientation. Rather than focusing on problems, we're focusing on strengths and opportunities. Not always easy, but it's highly effective. And once the organization begins adopting that underlying approach it can be applied to any other kinds of changes in the organization but it is infectious in that way it can go viral in such a positive way so appreciative inquiry um i'll talk a little bit more about sort of forcing the issue as i was just uh, as i opened my answer to you but i want to i'll talk about that more specifically and what that could look like but i'd say for right now one of the best answers to that question of addressing toxicity in our environment now is focusing on strengths by way of appreciative inquiry
1: thank you so oh yeah
2: Mm maria yeah i I don't have anything to add
3: (laughs) great okay great
1: well thank you yeah that's so important right now with you know the polarized uh situations so many workplaces are in. So Maria, this next question is actually gonna for you. So how do you help individuals develop the skills to move forward and become better people leaders?
2: Mm -hmm. Uh, Thank you. So this is a great question. Obviously, there are a lot of different approaches that you can take to developing leaders. However, our approach has um, four dimensions. So the first dimension is building the leader's awareness about the need to change, right? So we do this by measuring the leader's capacity to foster diversity, equity, and inclusion. As I mentioned in my previous uh, answer, we use at Beyond Inclusion Group the intercultural development inventory as a tool to build that awareness. The second dimension to our approach is fostering reflection. Okay, so we help the leaders take a close look at their results, at their intercultural development assessment results, and to consider what may be the impact of these results um, in in, in the day-to-day interactions with others and in their ability to lead across differences, right? So the third dimension of our development approach is facilitating learning for leaders through educational opportunities in order to increase their knowledge and to help expand their current mindset, okay? So we also help them develop new skills that lead to more inclusive behaviors. Now, these educational opportunities can come in the form of voluntary training programs. Uh, However, it is essential that the content of these programs specifically target where the leaders are in their diversity, equity, and inclusion developmental stage in order to be effective. Another developmental opportunity is individual coaching for leaders. A coaching relationship can really support leaders to turn toward challenges that they are experiencing when leading across differences and to help them develop goals, specific goals to improve, okay? And the, that, the last dimension that we use in our approach is taking action by strategically taking engaging leaders in resolving real-world, real-time challenges within their organizations. For example, we often ask leaders to deconstruct specific policies and procedures with their new mindset in order to identify inequities and to reconstruct these policies and procedures using an equity lens. And that's just an application to everything that they have learned.
1: And Chris, one of our webinar attendees said the struggle Uh, for us is that it's always the same folks who are involved in our DEI. We're stuck figuring out how to engage those that are not interested or resistant. The company provided us with the book, So You Want to Talk About Race, and people have shared frustrations with it, but mostly it's from Mm non-BIPOC.
3: Yeah, it's exhausting, isn't it? To to be a, a person of color and have this um, sort of be charged with uh, cis, as uh, as this as if you are our resident experts. Um, th- I'll say it uh, briefly, and then I'm, I'm going to add a little more to this. But whites need white people need to step up. Um, I'm a I identify as a, a white male cisgendered. Um, I I got into this work um, sort of inadvertently, um, and it was to a white ally. He he made a suggestion. I stepped up and I took on his suggestion and one thing led to the other and it's been a lifetime of focus, my professional life. And it's been enriching deeply. But that said, all right, so what do we do? You know, we have people standing on the sidelines, uh, perhaps even um, attempting to interfere. Uh, I said earlier, that oftentimes hitting the topic square on can create more backlash than good. What we're looking for is momentum. We're trying, we want to get people engaged. In fact, if you look at our, our uh, five strategies that we, that we identified through the research that we presented. Uh, number two, widen engagement has to do with taking an all-inclusive approach, engaging, engaging people in a positive manner. Um, what the research bears out as well as our own individual and uh, professional experiences, is that when managers actively help boost diversity in their organization, they begin to think of themselves as diversity champions. And that is true across race. So most organizations have an achievement mentality that they get rewarded for high performance for meeting the KPIs that are identified. So let's make this a KPI, a, a key performance indicator that is transparent. Let's build it in to how we do our work together. Um, some, I'm gonna to name a couple of the other uh, approaches to widen engagement that have proven particularly effective. One is voluntary training, I underscore voluntary. Second is mentoring. Third is diversity task forces. And the fourth is the presence of diversity managers. This is all of you, you look at all of this, there's a bit of of, uh, recruitment in this. If at, at the very least, there's a mindfulness in the organization to pay attention to this. So by raising people's awareness and placing those in the view of what's important, what are we here to achieve? Now change starts to happen. We've got to create that engagement. We've got to uh, uh, create relationships where people will connect across race. There's uh, mentoring is an avenue to create that. Um, The uh, mentor along with their proteges exploit opportunities to support the the protege to create change. And guess what's happening with the mentor? dissolving any co- cognitive dissonance that they've got about the change and, and their resistance begins to dissipate. So they, you know, they're invested. Uh, women and minorities have that we have shown have proven to benefit significantly from formal mentoring programs. Um, even top leaders that have helped to mentor others have become personally invested in the change themselves. Again, that's a cross race and it's a, it's a proven way to get leaders involved. So we really do have to enroll them. They've got to become engaged. And, the, and frankly, they have to look at it as I did years ago as through the lens of what's in it for me and find the driving force for what's important to you. You can't make anyone change. You know, it's like the old, old uh, uh, colloquial, colloquialism. You can bring a horse of water, but you can't force it to drink. It's like that. We, As Maria was indicating, if a person is invested in change, if they want to re- raise their performance indicators, if they want to move up the continuum on the IDI, then there's some motivation there. That's what we're looking for. We're looking to, to enroll people so that they adopt the change personally. So uh, I know there's more to be said about that, but I wanted to give Maria some time here. Maria, yep. what, what's up? Um, what's what, what's next for Maria? You want to comment on this? No. Nope, okay. Good, good, okay. Yeah. All right.
1: Okay. Well, great. Thank you. Well, I am going to hop in with another question for Maria. <laughs> when leveraging resistance, to do you consider different tactics for different ways people react to change? For example, early adopters, uh, late majority, like etc. Um, And also, which are more effective for each type?
2: Mm -hmm. Great, this is a great question. And we know that in any change management initiative, we are gonna find individuals that are at different uh, levels of readiness. And what I will say before going to each of the types and the um, strategy that I recommend, I will say that the strategy you want to use first, independently of the level of readiness of the individual, is to inquire into the source or sources of the resistance. This is the only way that you're gonna make sure that you are addressing the specific concerns that that person has, again, individually of their level of readiness. Now, in terms of the different levels of readiness, we know uh, for change management theory that usually in any change management uh, initiative, we're gonna find uh, 2%, 2%, 0.5% of individuals that are innovators. These are people who want to be the first to try the innovation, Um, they're venturesome, they're interested in new ideas, and they're willing to take risks, okay? So uh, for these type of individuals, there is really not much that needs to be done in order to uh, move them along, because they usually don't have a lot of resistance, okay? Now, the other type of individuals that we find in change management theory is what is called the early adopters, which is usually about 14% of the population in an organization, okay? So these people are generally considered considered thought leaders and they have a lot of influence. Um, they enjoy leadership roles and they embrace change as well as new opportunities. Um, So they are already aware of the need to change. So they are very comfortable adopting new ideas. So in this case for the early adopters, the strategy that I recommend is to educate them particularly to help them develop new skills because they are already enrolled on the change but what they want to know is the how to, right? Um, So that's the strategy Uh, for the Next group of individuals that are called the early majority, which tends to be about a 34% of, of any organization, um, they're not, they, they don't used to be leaders. Um, um, so, but they adapt to new ideas before the average person. Uh, so for this particular group, Um, The strategies that work work well for them is to educate them about the vision, about about the why behind the initiative, and to really connect the initiative to their own values, okay, because they just need to know why is this important for the organization and for myself as a member of the organization. Um, The next group, according to change management theory, is the late majority. It's about 34% of the population. They tend to be very skeptical to change and will only adopt an initiative after having been tried by others. so the strategies to appeal to them is to widen engagement. And Chris has already been references uh, referencing quite extensively ab- about how to do that, how to widen engagement. Um, the last group, is the deep resistors. And normally we find about 15% of the population in the organization tend to resist change. They are also called questioners, resistors, delayers. So these are people that are bound to tradition. They tend to be very conservative. Um, They are very skeptical of change and are really the hardest group to bring on board to any change initiative. Um, So in terms of the strategies that really will appeal to this group is um, to address their fears, you know, what it is that they are afraid. People that are conservative in general, they are afraid to lose their way of living, the way the things that have always been done. So really asking open questions to help to identify what the real fears are and making sure to meet them where they are, okay? You may be at a stage of development that is more higher than their stage of development. The idea is how do I talk to these individuals in a way that they understand me in a way that what i'm saying resonate to their values so it's really important to adapt to them and to uh, talk to them from their perspective from their level of development in order to enroll them into the change
1: Thank you so much. I was gonna say that that last one sounds uh, easier said than done sometimes. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so I can. I bet the. Uh, I was gonna. I was gonna ask which one's your favorite group, but <laughs> we don't have time. <laughs> um, let's not get into that. Um, so we. I we're moving on to unfortunately our last question. Um, Again, I want to thank our listeners from the webinar for su- submitting these wonderful questions. I wish I could take credit for them, but they're, <laughs> they're not my questions. Um, so the last one is going to be for you, Chris. And in, it's in, in my work as a social worker, resistance is often reframed as a natural protective reaction. It occurs to me this has an application on an individual group, family, work unit, etc and organizational level. Do you find this to be true? Is this what you're describing as the as the WIifM dynamic?
3: Yeah, the what's in it for me dynamic uh, yes absolutely yeah And they have you could look at it from the what's in it for us dynamic as well uh, ultimately because we're talking about you know collective units organizations. And um, you know that one thing I want to say yes to. That resistance is a natural protective reaction. Absolutely, we all need resistance in order to change, and I and I, and that um, may sound counterintuitive. And and here's why: this is why resistance is a natural natural per- precursor to change. It's an indicator. If we're not experiencing some discomfort, if we're not experiencing some cognitive dissonance between the way that we are and the way that we see and believe, then and, and what's in front of us, then we are not experiencing an opportunity for change. There's no call into anything. We are simply staying at the modicum of, of what's typical. So when we experience that internal struggle uh, to meet that cognitive dissonance, and we can do this uh, collectively and individually, there's an in- internal structure we have to work with if we don't have a healthy sense of self, that is uh, put in other terms, if we don't have a healthy ego structure, then we can't move into the change. So um, yes to discomfort, yes to resistance being a natural protective reaction. I think we covered that pretty thoroughly in our presentation at the webinar, but what we're looking at is kind of paradoxical, flipping resistance on its head and saying, okay, here's an opportunity Here's here's a way that we can create change. So let's move into that. How we do it has all the bearing on what kind of outcomes we create. So essentially, we're looking at embracing discomfort, so we can talk about and tackle the tough issues. And the the good news is, and this is going to actually refer, I'll refer back to one of the earlier questions. The good news is that the majority of top leaders in our more progressive organizations already understand how critical these conversations are. So uh, w- indeed, it, it, it's happening across healthcare university systems, uh, across for-profit organizations, tech and others. It is happening, there is a wave of change. We are moving the dial, perhaps not quickly enough, perhaps with, with more resistance than we want, but it is happening. But Here's the thing about those that are facing this change in positions of leadership is, and I'm going to speak uh, predominantly to those leaders who identify as white. They're terrified. They're terrified about, about messing up, saying the wrong thing to their stakeholders, to their employees, board members, funders, clients, customers, and they get paralyzed into inaction. Well, the worst thing we can do is just keep pounding on the the. the the drum of fear and create more inaction. What we want to do is engage the leaders. We want to bring them into uh, the conversation. And this is not about seeking permission or deferring. It's about taking a position and and enrolling others through engagement, uh, through involvement, and and other ways that people personally are connected with the change. Um, There's a uh, a, a kind of uh, skill set that goes with this as a leader. So let's say that I'm terrified. I'm, I'm white and I'm leading an organization that has traditionally been white and is run by uh, the dominant kind of constructs, and I want to change. Well, the skill set that I need to evoke is inquiry. I spoke about the of inquiry as a change model, but I'm talking about a personal approach to this. I need to get curious. I can't pretend that I know everything that I'm knowledgeable about all the topics because I'm not so I begin asking questions so that I can help inform myself to overcome those that uncomfortable silence and to and to address any awkward exchanges that are going to come my way regarding my power and privilege because they are and we the 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 the, the primary focus here is to engage myself as a learner and that requires some vulnerability i have to admit that i don't know and i'm seeking answers not like others need to provide my answers but that i'm figuring it out and i might ask questions like i mean here's some of my my uh, to to explore my curiosity you know what are some of the the bigger challenges that you have, some of the bigger barriers to your success. And, and, and what role can I play in helping to remove those barriers? So it implies an empowerment, right? To the other and self. This is not about you figure it out for me and tell me what to do. Another question, how do you feel, how do you feel as you take risk at work? In order to contribute, what do you need to do to, to contribute to the, to the organization, to our community? Another one is, what percentage of your time is spent on a, a, addressing exclusion, microaggressions against yourself or others? Those are all time wasters. How do we remove that? How do we educate others? A couple other questions are, what, whose voice or what perspective is missing from this conversation? And how can I amplify your voice and that of other underrepresented voices? We need you in the organization. So these are ways of getting involved with a sense of empowerment that we are going to create change. So it, doesn't, it does entail a certain skill set, the ability to listen to others, suspend judgment, bracket assumptions, and just listen, deeply listen to the whole organization and to individuals. It also begs the craft or the skill of asking questions that are truly powerful that evoke reflection and learning. And so if we're not afraid of making some verbiage blunders and using wrong terminology and such that we're willing to take on a learning process, we are actually modeling the change that we're attempting to establish within our organizations. And yeah, back to the earlier questions. Uh, Some questions that we ask, some of the things we may choose to do may trigger deeply held emotions. It's just, it's inevitable. But that's part of the process. We need then to reflect, to learn, to react, uh, take a different step toward the same goal by but this time being informed. So we can educate ourselves. We need to read up. We need to listen. We need to... To um, become involved and be willing to make mistakes. In a word, we got, we have to get vulnerable, we have to get uncomfortable. And so if we're grappling with that complex change, we gotta be willing to take it on and to model it for others. So that's that's what a true transformative leader does. And it doesn't hurt to have that, have a skill or two around apologizing and admitting your mistakes. You know, we're all we're human, we're gonna make it, we, we have blind spot, we have blind spots. We have opportunities when others are going to correct us. Hey, express gratitude and move on. Right? You and and thank them for the learning opportunity. And um, sometimes your ego is going to be hurt, but you know it's time to just get out there and do it again. You rose to that level of, of leadership for a reason, and and some qualities within you call on those. I don't, know, Maria. Do you have anything else you'd want to add to that?
2: So another way to really tailor your strategy to the resistance that different people are experiencing in the organization is to do an assessment. Chris and I have developed a tool as a result of our research that is called D-D-I-R-I, Diversity and Inclusion Readiness Indicator. Um, and DRI is used to proactively identify each unique kind of resistance found within diversity, equity, and inclusion in your change initiatives. So it really helps predict the different, what types of resistance, what are the sources of resistance that different groups within your organization are experiencing. So you can uh, design specific strategies for the different fears that different groups are uh, experiencing. For example, uh, many times leaders experience resistance around, well, I'm not sure about what the impact of this initiative is gonna have on our mission, or I'm not sure how this diversity equity uh, of inclusion initiative is gonna change the way we do things around here, right? So you will know that for that group, through the assessment, you have identified that they need more education. So for that specific group, you will make sure to design that, that strategy for maybe frontline employers and experiencing other different, of, different kinds of fears. Maybe they are afraid that they are going to be losing their power or their privilege. So then you will design a specific strategy for that specific group or for that specific department that matches the source of the fear in order to move them forward.
3: Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I think dairy is a, a wonderful tool for, and it has a very specific or contoured application. That is that once, once we know what we were looking to change, now we go out and continuously test it it's sort of like a, a, a pulse check on the change itself. I mean, it, and it answers a lot. And I think with any initiative, we've got to pay attention to what, wh- why is this idea better than anything else we've done or conversely another way to answer that is what happens if we don't change and so that that kind of question gets surfaced in the, and, and it creates opportunity for having these conversations so we get the results back we take a look and we say oh you know it looks like we've got some barriers to change here around not really understanding how this idea is better another way we can look at it is you know, how consistent is this initiative with our own values either personally or as an organization how does it fit with our vision for our mission uh, uh, on our organization? And once again, that's an, another way of collectively tackling this issue of, of creating inclusion, creating equity without hitting it right on the nose and creating backlash. So we're looking at where the commonalities and this kind of data speaks to that. Um, Marie, anything else you'd want to?
2: Um, suggest no, really okay. that that I think the great application of this specific tool is that it can help you identify what are the most salient areas of resistance for same, certain teams, for certain individuals. So really you can design different type of strategies at different levels of the organization.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ben, it's all right by, by throwing another. So one of the things that I want to emphasize is is uh, how to create the uh, the change, the momentum for change, without, once again, creating backlash. Because oftentimes, hitting things overtly, hitting things in a mandatory sense, and uh, with a a, sort of legal enforcement uh, posture, ends up creating backlash. But how about diversity task force? Now, this isn't Uh, charged by the HR department. This is charged by executive sponsorship. This is director level and up and ideally the higher up we go, the better. So if the CEO forms a diversity task force, now the diversity task force is charged across the organization. So this is a cross-functional team that's self-managed and it raises awareness. They are charged with raising awareness throughout the organization. So it gets embedded at different levels and at different areas within an organization. So it becomes more natural. It's the way we do things around here, as opposed to, oh boy, here we come with another mandatory training. Program, how do I test out of this? Instead, it's it's not even viewed that way remotely. It's simply the way we do things. So, consider a diversity diversity task force led by at the highest level executive sponsorship.
1: Thank you both so much for that wonderful conversation, and thank you to our listeners for joining us. If you'd like to learn more, please feel free to reach out to Maria or Chris directly at. Maria at beyondinclusiongroup.com or Chris at CGSansone, that's S A N S O N E, at gmail.com. You can listen to more forum podcasts at our website, forumworkplaceinclusion.org, for podcast, or you can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, and Stitcher. Thank you again for listening. Have a great day.
0: Thank you again for listening to the Forum on Workplace Inclusion podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to get updates and the latest episodes. Also, tell us what you think by reviewing our podcast. We'd love to hear your feedback. For more information, visit us at forumworkplaceinclusion.org or search Workplace Forum on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Thank you very much and have a great day. The Forum on Workplace Inclusion podcast is recorded at Augsburg University in Minneapolis, Minnesota. One of the most diverse private colleges in the Midwest, Augsburg University offers more than 50 undergraduate majors and 9 graduate degrees to 3,400 students of diverse backgrounds at its campus in the vibrant center of the Twin Cities and nearby Rochester, Minnesota location. Augsburg educates students to be informed citizens, thoughtful stewards, critical thinkers, and responsible leaders. An Augsburg education is defined by excellence in the liberal arts and professional studies, guided by the faith and values of the Lutheran Church, and shaped by its urban and global settings. Learn more at augsburg.edu.